Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Scripture is from Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 39. This is the word of God. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward." For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." Let's pray this morning. Our Father, we thank you again for this day that we have where we can come together and consider your word. May our hearts and minds be warm to you, Jesus, as we see your word here. May we be those who remain faithful, continually persistent in our Christian faith and in our life as we pursue you each day, so that we may heed the warnings that you give to us in this and other passages. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you follow a variety of different Christian websites and news sites, you will have noticed in recent years a phenomenon that seems more and more popular. So in addition to a number of scandals and different things that happen with different pastors that are now public and and very widely known stories, there seems to be this new genre of post, which is the Instagram deconversion post. The Facebook deconversion post, where they post up there somebody who's now given up the Christian faith. And they typically do it by first having a beautiful picture, a picture of themselves either walking down a country road with their back towards you as they walk down the uh, autumn road, or perhaps a picture as they sit at a beautiful mountain lake like Maroon Bells and look up at it in a very contemplative sort of way. And then they have uh, this discussion. They post and they write... I can't believe it came to this, but I now have to tell you my story. They begin with these words warning you that now that they've been a pastor, perhaps, a large, well-respected 
musician in the, in the contemporary Christian music realm, an author perhaps, they're now leaving the Christian faith. And in their posts, they will talk about what it's like to leave. They will talk about the journey that they're now on. They'll talk about now their pursuit of a new authenticity, pursuit of truth, and their hopefulness for the future. Some will end the post by saying, I thank you for praying for me, but I no longer need it. I'm leaving the Christian faith knowing full well what that means, but I no longer believe in God. I no longer believe in Christ. I'm walking away from it all. Others, however, take a more hostile and negative view of it, and they'll post in there. I despise and reject what my father, my church taught me, what they did to me, and I'm going to spend the rest of my days ridiculing what that was. Now, I don't normally use names of people like this, but John Piper, a very widely well-known pastor, a great believer and teacher and preacher, has a son that did that, who walked away from the faith and now spends his life ridiculing and mocking it. Tony Campolo has a son who followed him in the ministry, but when he deconverted from Christianity, he became a chaplain of humanism at the university. And so if you're a secular humanist, you now have a chaplain that you can go to. So these stories are more and more common and more and more popular, and we wonder, why is that the case? Now this morning our goal isn't to mock or ridicule or challenge directly those who have this experience. Instead, it's to think biblically about what they're going through and why they go through that. Why is it that people are walking away from the faith? Biblically, it's, we speak of it as apostasy. Apostasy is that idea that you are once a Christian, you're falling away from it. The word apostasy comes from two words, apo, which means away from, and stasi means to stand, so you're standing away from, you fall away from. The opposite of that maybe is anastasis, like Anastasia, which is resurrection. So we have people now who are not pursuing the resurrection and that hope in life, but falling away from all of that and giving it all up. When we come to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is structured around five warning passages in which he's warning those believers he's preaching to and teaching, beware of your own Christian life. Think about what you're thinking about. How are you living? How are you thinking? What are you believing? And so in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we have our first warning passage. And then there's chapter 3. But then in chapter 4, verses uh, 6 to 8, there's a second warning passage. And then chapter 6, chapter, uh, chapter six verses 4 to 6, there's another warning passage. There's not a warning passage in chapter 8. He skips that number, but comes to chapter 10. And in this passage, verses 26 to 31, we have this fourth warning passage. And then in chapter 12, we'll have a fifth one. This fourth warning passage, however, is the most severe, is the most challenging. And so chapters 2, 4, 6, 10, and 12 have warning passages. The author, the preacher of Hebrews, is reminding us that in the midst of theology that's being taught about how Christ is our ultimate and perfect high priest and sacrifice, we have to also know that if you reject all of that and walk away from all of that, there's danger that lurks. There's consequences that follow out of that. And so for all of us, he's preaching generally to all of us, and we don't want to think in any sermon like this, this is not for me, this is for somebody else. We all want to always be examining our own hearts and our own lives and our own way of thinking and making sure that we are staying true. And the warning passages in this passage today is about that, paying attention to the Christian life so that we stay faithful to that. And we've seen a number of other places where this is the case. Uh, back in chapter 6, when Lars was preaching there, he mentioned Judas is that sort of archetypical sort of apostate. Somebody who spent time with Jesus, knew what his message was, 
Nobody had greater proximity to what Jesus did and said than Judas did. Yet his last decision in life, his penultimate decision in life, was to betray Jesus. His last decision in life was to commit suicide. And so Judas is that picture of one who knew the truth, stood by Jesus, and walked away from it. So apostasy is for those who know Christ, who've heard the story, who know the message, who know the gospel themselves, yet they walk away from that. And so we're looking today at these passages which talk about this apostasy. Now in 1 John chapter 2, John says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they were of us, they would not have left us. They would have remained with us. And John there in 1 John chapter 2 is warning and saying that there's people who went out from our congregation who they said they were of us, but we found out they really weren't. They really weren't believers. An apostate is not somebody who's simply a, a rank unbeliever. There's those who are unbelievers. An apostate is somebody who heard the truth, who knows the truth, yet they walk away from that truth. In Deuteronomy, the first apostates are talking, uh, spoken of even back then. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 13, talks about those, those angry, horrible people who are in your midst, who are calling you to go back to other gods. And so in the Jewish world, back then even, there were Jews who had to live with other Jews who said, let's go back to our polytheism. Let's go back to the Canaanite gods that we had before, the multiplicity of different gods. Maybe Yahweh is one good god, but we've got all these other gods, we don't want to neglect them. So apostasy has always been with us and always been with true believers. And so when we come to this passage in chapter 10, beginning in verse 26, he talks and tells us what apostasy looks like. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, and there we have it, two things. One is somebody who has received the knowledge of truth. They have the knowledge, yet they go on sinning deliberately. They reject the truth. And so... What does apostasy look like? It looks like a person who's heard the gospel truth, who knows what the gospel says. They've heard sermons. They've read books. They've even preached sermons. They've even taught in Sunday school classes. They've even stood on the worship stage and led you in worship. Not you, but others in worship. And then they walk away from the faith. They've even done that, John says. They've even done that, Paul says. They've even done that, the preacher of Hebrews says. They've been with you and they walked away. So they know the truth. They know that the only way of salvation is through Christ, yet they walk away from that. And so as we continue on, they see here the second thing, they reject it. And so it says again in verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Now the knowledge of the truth, there's two words in Greek for knowledge. One is gnosis. The Gnostics got that, the word comes from there, but gnosis is a knowledge. And then Greek does the same thing that English does. They will sometimes take that word and emphasize it with, in here, a preposition, epignosis. And so epignosis carries the sense of a deeper understanding, a full knowledge, a complete knowledge. And that's the word used here. There's not simply a familiarity with the gospel and the teaching of the church, but there's a real deep knowledge and understanding of it. They understand it completely, yet that's the knowledge they reject. And so it says they go on sinning deliberately. And so the the sinning deliberately here in the context of all we've seen in Hebrews are for those people who know that the message of the gospel is that it's only through Christ, our great high priest, that we can be saved, and they reject that message. Leaving that gospel message, sinning deliberately, 
Now, this idea of sinning deliberately has led some to fear that if a believer in their own life sins occasionally, that they may find themselves being left out and lose their salvation. And fortunately, Paul deals with that. And so, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, 2 Timothy 2, 12, I want to get this thought here in this context. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so there's two things here. On the one hand, there are those who deny Christ. And that's what Hebrews is warning against, those who deny Christ. If we deny him, he will deny us. For those who walk away from the gospel, as so many now have publicly, they deny Christ, they will be denied by Christ at the judgment. But Paul says here, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And the point there is that even in your Christian life, when you sin, when you fail, when you struggle with addictions and problems, even there, even though you're faithless at times in your Christian life, yet God remains faithful to you. He will not deny you. And so there's a difference between those who are apostate and walk away from the faith and those who are Christians who are struggling with their own personal lives. The first are forsaken by God, the second never will be. And even when we see those who say they've now left the faith, we don't know presently whether or not they may return. All of our Christian lives are sort of ups and downs. We come closer to the fire and are warmed by it, and we drift further away from it and are cooled. And we, we find ourselves in different times in life struggling with a lot of different things. It may be moral issues. It may be psychological difficulties because of past issues in our life. It may be intellectual challenges or doubts. All of us have different issues we're struggling with. It may be that issue that's pushing us away from our faith. Nevertheless, we need to keep pursuing after it. That's the message of Hebrews here. And so we see in this passage that that's what it looks like. But then we ask the question, why does it happen? Why is it people walk away from the Christian faith? Well, there's a couple of things we can think about. First of all, if we think about this in terms of like a fence. Inside the church, we're inside the fence. It's kind of like your yard and your neighbor's yard. When you sit in your yard, you look out over your yard into your neighbor's yard, and it's easy for you to pass judgment and criticize the looks of your neighbor's yard. But if you ever went to go visit your neighbor, and you then look back over the fence at your side, you might now see from his perspective what he's looking at, or she's looking at, and you think, okay, maybe I need to think deeper and understand better. But from our side of the faith, if, if we ask the question, why is it people uh, abandon the faith, there's a number of answers we have. First of all, persecution. That was common, and that's what this book of Hebrews is really dealing with. Specifically, it's written in about that year, 64, 65, 66, but this is during a time, during the reign of Nero, when Christians were being persecuted. And when Christians are being persecuted, it will take those who are true believers and drive them towards the faith, and it will take those who are not true, true believers and push them away from the faith. And so, Persecution will have that effect of either showing us who's real or who's not. And so persecution matters. As Tertullian said, the, uh, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so when persecution happened during the reign of Nero, many believers got stronger and stood up faithfully under the persecution where many others said, you know, this is too hot for me to handle, and they walk away from it. So persecution is the first. The second is false teachers. Persecution pushes people out of the church 
False teachers entice people from it. And so false teachers are always out there, always challenging our beliefs, our church. And they're out there enticing and tickling people's ears and giving them a false gospel. We see this even within the Christian world, many false teachers that draw people away from a true faith. Other religions, perhaps false teachers, drawing them into a different faith. But false teachers can have this way of pulling people out. People pursue after all sorts of false teaching because it sounds interesting, it sounds fun, it sounds good, it sounds enlightening. Oprah becomes, in many people's minds, a wonderful substitute for Christianity because she teaches you how to think. At least she did. A third reason why people fall from the faith is because they forsake the fellowship of other believers. And that's a passage we just saw in verse 25. Don't forsake the, the gathering of yourselves together. And when people stop fellowshipping together, when they slip away from the church, it's easy now for them to fall away further and further. It's like moving yourself away from the fire, no longer being warmed by it, and no longer believing you need to be warmed by it. And that COVID has had that effect on many churches, and many pastors are concerned about the effect it's had in the real lives of believers who have now found a way, different from the church, to spend their time on Sunday mornings. So there's that, that, that fellowship. Another is temptation. Some people are tempted away from the Christian faith, and so they say, these addictions, these issues I had in my life before, I stepped away from them for a time, but you know, those were my friends. And so they find themselves falling back into that, and that can draw them back in, so temptations can have that effect. Neglect also, don't neglect this faith, the writer of Hebrews says. Don't neglect it. We can have a beautifully cultivated garden when it rains without our efforts. But when a week like this comes up, when the sun is going to scorch at 98 degrees each day, if you don't care for your garden, it will burn up while you're neglecting it. And so it has to be cultivated. The same way the Christian life has to be cultivated and grown if it's going to stay fruitful and, and alive. And then there is the problem of reversion back. We've seen that already. The people who became Christians in the first century came either out of the paganism of the Roman world or out of Judaism. Either way, there was always that pull to revert back to what you were before. And so they were feeling the pull of their family or their friends who said, why are you leaving behind your Jewish faith? Come back to the synagogue with us. Reject what you now claim to have and come back and be part of this family. And so they had to deal with that. Those who were Gentiles coming out of the Roman paganism were also being told that you're the reason we have problems because you're no longer worshiping your house gods or the city gods or the gods of the forest and the field. And that's why we're having droughts and plagues and difficulties and the, and the terrors from overseas. And so they were being blamed. Christians were being blamed in the Roman world because they neglected those gods. And so for many of them, there was a draw to go back and keep those, those pagan gods. And so those are reasons that we see unbelievers falling away. But if you crossed the fence and went and asked these people, why are you walking away from the Christian faith? Why is it you're abandoning this Christian faith? They have answers that they give us. And so some will say, well, I've outgrown the Christian faith. I've outgrown it. And this becomes part of our modern secular age where people are told that the Christian faith, like other myths of the past, religious myths, made you feel good when you were a child, made you have comfort when you were an infant. But when you grow up as a society, when you reach the point of 
the enlightenment and understanding and rational thinking, you now know that there is nothing beyond the darkness. That when you look at the darkness, you face it, you say there's no longer a God that, that's out there that cares for us, but there's nothing out there. That's when you're a grown-up, they say. That's when you've matured out of and grown out of the Christian faith. And so the modern secular age we're living in is telling us this. It's becoming the background in which we live. The background noise is such that, that makes sense and plausibility for many younger people to walk away from the Christian faith. And so they say they've outgrown it. That's one reason. Second, people say, I've now found an authentic way of living. I'm looking for true authenticity. And what they're saying here is that the package of Christian beliefs that were handed down includes a lot of things I don't like anymore. And so what they want to do is deconstruct it. Take a kid that gets a new toy, doesn't want to simply play with a toy, but wants to know more about what's inside of it. So they break it apart. They unscrew it. They deconstruct it and they spread it all out. And then they try and put it back together again with different parts. And it's all messed up. That's what deconstruction is. It deconstructs the Christian faith. It breaks it apart into its constituent elements. And it says, now I can choose from these different parts which, I, which parts I want to have. And so some parts of the Christian faith may survive in their newly found authentic life. But to that they may add other elements, other doctrines, other points from other religions. And so on the one hand, somebody might say, I find authenticity, I find meaning in Easter. The uh, current uh, senator from Florida, Warnock, famously said just before Easter Sunday, that Easter's not all about the resurrection of Jesus. It's about, it's about family. It's about community. It's about loving one another. Now, Ralph Warnock is a minister, he claims explaining that Easter has nothing to do with the resurrection. And so he's now saying there's authenticity. We can have something of value in Easter Sunday, but you don't need the resurrection. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I may not be Hindu, but I do believe in karma. And so they like the doctrine of karma, that what goes around comes around. And my thought is, if you're not Hindu, then why do you believe in karma? If you're not Buddhist, why karma then? But they take these different doctrines and they put it together. Now, Tim Keller has talked about this in several books, and he has taken this from a guy named Robert Bella. It's called Expressive Individualism. And this simply means that you as an individual can find your own particular identity as you express it as you choose to. So pick what you want to do, pick what you want to believe, make up your own life, and then live that way. Express it as you choose. And so it's an entirely Western individualistic way of thinking. You become whatever you want to be. And you can think, just briefly without me going into it, all of the consequences that follow out of that, what we see going on in the world today. And so some say I want to find a true, authentic life. Others say the reason I'm leaving the Christian faith is because I've had a bad experience with it. And some people have. There's been abuse in the church, not by simply nominal Christians, but by those who are pastors, those who are teachers. Physical abuse, psychological abuse, and all of this has happened. And all of us know people who say, my father claimed to be a Christian, but he was a bad guy, and I'm not going down that road. So they use that bad experience as an excuse and say, I'm not going to be a Christian because I've seen what Christians are really like. And so they walk away from the faith because of these bad experiences. Others will look at their life and say, okay, this is what Christianity is, and I understand it. 
But I see there's also other ways of living. Now, within the Christian world, it's not uncommon for us to ridicule and mock and, and, and challenge those who are secular humanists by saying that they have no meaning and purpose in life, that they're, they're angry and, at God and they're devoid of any true values. And your kids are raised being told this. But then they go out and they find people who are themselves not believers in really anything, and they turn out to be rather nice people. They turn out to be people who seem to be living lives that seem rather normal. And they do find some way of finding meaning and purpose in their life. And your kids are wondering, well, is it really true that you can only find meaning in Christianity? Why, is, why do these people seem to be okay? There's one Christian philosopher who was brilliant, who wrote about what's called Reformed Epistemology. It's about the way we think and know, and it's a wonderfully biblical sound book on the way Christians should think about what knowledge is and how we know and, and how we can believe and what all of that means. And then he began writing about other religions and didn't take long, about 15 years later, he's now a Buddhist. And so he's now said, I found a different, authentic and beautiful way of living that's equally fulfilling to me. And so some go that way and leave that. Another way people say they're leaving the faith is because They've heard objections to Christianity. They've heard that there's reasons that Christianity fails. And so the claim that there's a God who created, created humans in God's image with purpose and value and meaning, but that it's been marred by sin and evil and suffering, but that there's a hope and a belief that Christ will heal this world and heal the sin and bring reconciliation between man and God in the atonement. They've heard that story. But at each point along that road, there can be what's called defeaters. A defeater is simply a term which says, somebody makes a, a proposition, but I have a way of defeating it. And so you can think about the ways that people are claiming Christianity can be defeated or beat. The Bible isn't true. The Bible doesn't contain God's word. It's full of errors, they might say. How can we believe there's a God? There's no evidence of God. When we look through the telescopes in the universe, we see no God out there. What about suffering? How can there be a God when there's such suffering and pain and evil in the world? And so we're challenged by these questions. And many who were close to Christ, who heard the gospel message, find that in their life nobody provided answers to those challenges and they drift away from it. So for these variety of reasons, people leave the faith. They walk away from it. And that's what apostasy is about. They're walking away from it. Now let's take a quick look at some of these uh, passages as the writer develops it. In verse 26, and we're on our fourth point now, what are its consequences? In verse 26 again through verse 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's the first consequence. There is no longer a sacrifice for sins. If a person walks away from the only method by which a man and a woman can be reconciled to God, if you walk away from that one way, the preacher of Hebrews says, there's no other way. There's no alternative. There is no other sacrifice. There's nothing else you can do or any other religion can do. So the writer's first warning is, there is no other sacrifice. There is no other way. That's the first consequence. You're now left in the dark forever. Secondly, verse 27, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Judgment is what follows. That's a second consequence. 
There is no other way is the first. The second is that there's judgment. And notice as he continues on in this passage, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And there's not much being left behind in that passage. There's judgment that follows. And so when you walk away from your only hope, there is no other way, only consequence that follows. A person who's drowning, who's thrown a life rope, but who says, I don't want to wait for this one, I want something else, may find nothing else ever comes, and they drown. And that's what the writer's getting at here. There's a judgment that follows. In verses 28 and 29, he develops this theme that there are different degrees of judgment that come on different degrees of sin. So again in verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if you broke the law, there's a consequence to it. But think about verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? How much worse punishment when a person walks away from their only hope how much worse punishment? And the preacher of Hebrews is warning those who are reading and hearing this message that don't walk away from it. The greater judgment call, falls on those who knew the truth. And so those who never heard, those who were never given opportunity, judgment may fall. But for those who have heard the truth and walk away from it, how much greater will that punishment be? Perhaps it's that in eternity, you will always know that you walked away from the only answer of salvation you could ever have. And so he warns them of that. And what they do is, in fact, they reject God. In verse 29, again, they've trampled underfoot the Son of God and have profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged a spirit of grace. There is this sense in which those who walk away from the Christian faith trample underfoot the Son of God. They take the message of the gospel, of salvation, of what Christ has done for us. They take that story and they walk on it. It's as though they see Christ himself sitting at their feet, offering forgiveness, and they step on him as they walk on by. And the message, the picture that the author of Hebrews is giving us here, are of those who intentionally, as we saw in verse 26, deliberately choose to do that. They walk away from it, choosing to do that. And so they walk away from what God has provided for them. The sacrifice, the preacher says in Hebrews, that has been offered in Christ as our great high priest was offered by God himself and Christ working together. And so in essence, you're rejecting God. While we think those Jews who reverted from Christianity back to their Jewish faith may have gone back to their religion of Judaism, you think about the fact that they're now rejecting the one thing that they've been looking for for all those centuries, and that was the perfect sacrifice that God had promised. And in rejecting this gift of God, they're essentially re rejecting God entirely himself. And so they reject God. They trample underfoot the Son of God. They reject Jesus and what he's done, and then it says they anger the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who comes into our lives, convicting us of sin helping us understand that there's consequences to our sin, the same spirit that works in our lives is himself being rejected. There's consequences to that. So that's what these people are doing. When the preacher of Hebrews warns them, he's saying, these are the consequences. There's consequences that follow. But how can we prevent it? 
In verses 32 to 39, first, remember your suffering, he says. Remember what you went through. He's talking to those believers in air quotes who are thinking about leaving the Christian faith. And he reminds them to look to your past life of service and suffering. Verse 32, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He's talking to those seeming believers who are at the edge of walking away, warning them, saying, remember what you did when you participated in the church, when you were a part of us. Remember how your heart was warmed when you sacrificed for others. When you saw those who were imprisoned, you were willing to have even your own property plundered. Remember the meaning and joy you found in life when you were with us, when you were one of us. And so he warns them, don't walk away from that. Look to the past time in your Christian life when you knew that what you believed in was true. And pursue after that. Keep that. And so he says, look to your past. Think about what Christ has done for us, what God has provided to us, and keep pursuing after that. And so many of these people who were at the edge of walking away could look back at their life and say, you know what? I endured the suffering under the persecution of Nero. And there was something about those moments in our life together that were meaningful. I knew at that point in my life I was living for something bigger than myself, something bigger than my own simple enclosed life, but living for something that had eternal value. And so that's the first warning, the first method that this preacher is giving us. Look back to what you were a part of. The second thing he says is to look forward to your rewards. Verse 35 and verse 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And so he talks to these people and he says, look forward to that reward. Remember that reward we talked about? Remember in our times together, in our studies together, in our prayers together, when we look forward to that time, that moment when all of this would be healed. When the promises that God made will one day come to full fruition. When we spend eternity with Christ, look forward to that reward. If you walk away now from the Christian faith, you're walking away from that future reward also. And if we think in our own life, in the own moments of our life, what we're going through is difficult. We can keep our eye on the prize, keep pursuing after that, enduring, running the race, as Paul says, and find true meaning in life there. And so the point he's saying is that there's true meaning you can have as you press on towards your reward. And so we see this reward being this part. And then the third thing he says in verse uh, 37 and 39 he reminds all of us that we live by faith. Verse 37. For, and this is quoting Hebrews, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 that we preached on just a few months ago. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Always, he says, 
Pursuing faith matters. Our lives are made greater by a pursuit of faith, enhanced by our continual pursuit of the true faith. Now, as we think about what we've seen here, we see the preacher of Hebrews warning these people. There are reasons people are leaving the faith, but there's better reasons why you should stay. And if we think about the Christian life as a highway we're traveling down, we're going down a highway, and we're with each other in a caravan. But every now and again, we see somebody exit the highway. And these deconverted people, these apostates, are like those who exit. And they walk away from the Christian faith. They find these different reasons we've talked about for exiting the, the highway of life, the pursuit of the goal. But here's the thing we need to keep in mind. The same issues that cause these people to exit the Christian life can also be the same reasons that others enter the Christian life, that others see a reason to stay on the road. And so think, for example, about what we've seen. First, there are those who, in their life, say that uh, I've, I've met bad Christians, I've had bad experiences with believers. And that may be true. It may even be bad experiences with other Christians who are themselves teachers or preachers. And it may have been all sorts of abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse of other kinds, mental abuse. These sort of things may have actually happened. And people will now use those as reason to leave the church. But those same sorts of issues that some people experienced outside the church, they come to the church and they find healing from it. And so some who are abused find healing in the church. And so a church can be somewhat like a hospital. Its purpose is, of course, healing. Some people go to the hospital to be healed. Others catch diseases there. They can be harmed there. It's called iatrogenic, which is a word for doctor-caused diseases, hospital-caused conditions. But a hospital should be a place of healing. And the same sort of healing that an unbeliever may have, have, have experienced when they were abused by an unbeliever, they found healing in the church. Those same believers who are harmed by others in the church might find healing here also. And so the problem that churches have had, if we, as we've all seen, is the difficulty or the problem churches have had with dealing with these issues. And so in the past, there's been a lot of sweeping under the carpet, and people use that as an excuse to say, the Christian faith has no meaning for me anymore. I can walk away from it. And, and they have these problems. Um, if we instead build a church, build a congregation, uh, and a faith that heals those, then we can find great uh, 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 meaning in that. Others will say they've outgrown the Christian faith because they see science explains that there is no need to believe in a God. They can walk away from it now that they're mature and grown up. But instead, you might say, rather than think you're growing out of the Christian faith and now can walk away from it, maybe instead you should pursue a life of growing into the Christian faith. And that's the message we've seen throughout Hebrews. Pursuing after these things. Don't stay as children drinking milk all the time, but you have to grow. And when you grow into the Christian faith, the issues that cause some to leave it can for you become a greater issue to stay in it. Because you see that Christianity in its full maturity does have answers to the questions that people raise. It does have answers to the difficulties we all face. And so growing into it. And that's why there's this encouragement throughout Hebrews to remain faithful to this message and its truth. And so outgrowing it? No, how about growing into it instead? We think also about those who have 
uh, been persuaded by objections. There's all sorts of objections that people have. Think about science, and that's the one that's been most challenging for the church. Science has come along since the Enlightenment, the 1700s and after, and, and shown us that there can be greater explanations for the way the universe works. And when there's a greater explanation for the way the universe works, they say, we no longer need the myth of a God behind it all. That science can now explain everything. And so there's no longer a need to believe in a God that created, a God that maintains and sustains and does all of this. Instead, we can set those myths behind us. And so this great objection to Christianity is that science has answered everything for us. Well, that can be defeated by this question. When scientists look at the universe, they see certain conditions out there, and this is called the anthropic principle, but they see certain conditions in the universe which are so finely tuned for the existence of life here on earth that if any one of these elements was out of whack by just a, a, a minuscule fraction that life couldn't exist and so the fundamental laws of physics the strong nuclear principle the weak nuclear force uh, the, the, the makeup of the atom, the proton, the neutron, the electron, the variety of, uh, and relative charges between them. If any of these elements were just slightly different, then matter couldn't exist and you couldn't exist. If gravity was slightly different, then the universe wouldn't exist as it is and life couldn't exist and you wouldn't be here. And so when you look at all of these finely tuned elements, we see a world in which there seems to be some reason behind it, some cause behind it. How on earth could this exist it's a pun. I didn't mean to be. How on earth could there be a world in which it's so finely tuned that we can be here? Well, that was very challenging. And a man named John Barrow came up with that. And he's not exactly a Christian, but he pointed to these things. Hugh Ross and others have pointed to these, these fundamental laws of physics. Well, it took some time before the physicists out there came up with an answer. And they have an answer. And the answer is that if you have enough chances at something like the lottery, you can win once in a while. Well, there's only one universe, you say. No, they say there's a multi-universes. In other words, you think there's just one universe we live in. They'll say there's multiple universes out there. And if you have enough opportunities at it, that you'll find some universe, and we happen to be the winner, where all of these fundamental laws of physics work just so that we can be here. And so the popular scientists out there, if you watch the science shows, you see Neil deGrasse Tyson, who redid the Carl Sagan Cosmos series, talk about multiple universes, multi-universe. Uh, you see Leonard Susskin, who's uh, an atheist who widely debates Christians on these issues. Sean Carroll, who teaches up at CU in physics, who can explain why the multiple universes explain everything. Stephen Hoffing, with a guy named Mladenov, wrote a book that became very popular about 10 years ago, explaining this multiverse theory, that if we have multiple universes, that we can have one like ours that works out. But then even within those who are atheist uh, physicists, uh, there's those, Paul Davies is one, Roger Penrose another, who said, you know, come on, guys. This isn't science anymore. This is just speculative metaphysics. You're just making stuff up. You're just trying to find an answer to something out there. And so while somebody may say that the, the reason we exist and we, we don't have a reason for our being here, we can say, you know what, you know, you're just making stuff up. Yours is no more than a belief than, than you th say Christianity is. And so there is something. Now, through all of this, people feel like they're falling away from the Christian faith because they've perhaps been inoculated by it. They've experienced it and they've seen it. You know what inoculation is? It's when they give you a vaccine that has a weak version of something, and that weak version of a, a virus or a bacteria causes the body to create anti uh, 
uh, bodies that, that fight it and defeat it. Some people have experienced such a weakened form of Christianity that, yeah, I'd walk away from it too. And sometimes we see on TV those who are television preachers, those who are out there, who are preaching such a strange and weird message that, my goodness, we would walk away from that also. I mean, there's, there's one out there who said, the reason I have to have this $180 million private jet is because I can't fly commercial because I don't want to fly in a tube of demons because I can't preach at the other end if I do. And that's why I need to have this private jet. And that, that's Kenneth Copeland. That's why I need my jet because I can't fly in that tube of demons like you all fly in. Well, we reject that Christianity also. All right, so if that's what you're rejecting, you're not rejecting authentic Christianity. The message we have, the Hebrews uh, preacher has, is there's an authentic Christianity with answers, with meaning and value that shows us how to live. And so we don't get inoculated by that weak informed. Instead, the message is try the authentic Christianity. Pursue the Bible yourself. See what it says. See that it does give you answers. And if people do that, they won't apostatize. They won't fall away. They won't give up. The Bible does have the answers that we need, answers the questions that they're even asking. And so for us, that's what we're called to do, to give that message. Now what we as believers have to do is to make sure that our lives lend plausibility to this message. And if you're living a Christian life that makes what you teach about Christianity to be quite unplausible, if you're living a life of hypocrisy, if you're living a life that shows others that there's no real substance to your faith, you may be the person that's leading others astray, running them off. You may think you're doing a good job on, uh, in your Christian life when you're here on Sundays, but what about the rest of your life? And so for each of us here today, what the preacher of Hebrews is saying, make sure you're living your life as a fully, fully grown, fully mature believer, because that's the impact you will have on others as you bump into them in life. So let's stand as we pray. Our Father, as we think about what the preacher of Hebrews has warning us against, against those who fall away, may we strengthen one another in the faith, encourage one another, gather together to build up one another so that we may remain faithful, not simply to each other, but primarily to you in the Christian life. And may we be believers with knowledge enough, experience enough, that we can be those who share with someone who's feeling questions, who's facing difficulties, who has problems, who has objections, may we be those who give answers and say, it's within the Christian faith that you will find true forgiveness and true hope and in your life, meaning and value and significance and purpose so that you can know what it means to be an authentic human, fully fulfilled in your life. Help us, Lord, to be those types of believers, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.